Hey, how's it going? My name is Alex Kulik. I am from the band Horrendous, and I play bass with them. So, first of all, congratulations, because since the release of Ontological Mysterium, uh, Billboard has actually come out with a press release saying it's now ranked in number four in its category, uh, number five for top new artist album, number six for current hard music albums and number 15 for independent current albums the album's only been out since august like congratulations thank you so much it means a lot i you know i'm not entirely sure how the billboard thing works that that may have only been true for the first week or two of the release you know when things are are hottest um but you know it got somewhere some at some point uh, along the way and mm. we are all very excited about it yeah so you are you have been with the band since 2016. The band has been in existence since 2009. And uh, I've actually had a chance to actually go and go back and listen to first album, second album, third album. And um, there was a there was actually a statement uh, put out by, again, I'm going to quote someone else, Spin Magazine, saying that uh, uh, Horrendous has shown more growth in six years than bands three times as old <laughs> that, that again like that's an incredible credit to the the uh the group that you have yeah yeah no it's um you know i have a kind of a privileged position in terms of this thought because you know i i can view some of the records from as an as a listener right mm -hmm. because i wasn't there for some of those earlier stages and even just within the span of records before i joined you know they have moved uh, into such expansive territory, and I think that's I think that's one of the most exciting parts of the band. Mm -hmm. You know that it seemed you know growth is kind of like a virtue. Yeah. Well, you. So, how did you become involved? Because the band uh, Horrendous was a trio before you uh, jumped in and started providing bass. That is correct. Um, you know, d down to the point that they were actually playing shows without a bass player, um, just as a trio. Um, it's actually a really without a bass player. Yeah, yeah. Even though there's bass on all the records, I was gonna say. <laughs> um, so you know, this was a, a decision. I mean, it's a it's a great story. Mm. I will I, I will say that. Um, but you know, I think Jamie, Matt, and Damien all met in college, mm. um, and you know they became a very tight unit. And I guess you know. They were making records together. Damien records and engineers everything himself. So everything was kind of like in-house, right? And um, they weren't playing a ton uh, at, for, a, for a long while, actually. Um, you know, it was kind of like one-off shows here and there. Um, they had never toured. Um, so, and it got to a point um, after um, Anaretta came out, and that was Decibel's album of the year, mm. if I recall correctly. Um, and you know band was picking up steam a lot had happened they were getting asked to play bigger shows and they started saying like hey we put a lot of effort into writing bass parts for these records like it's not an afterthought it um you know it's it's something that even before they had a committed bass player it was right. something they really worked hard on right um and i got to the point where they're like these these bass lines and this like uh you know like segment of the band sound like needs we, we need it we have to have a bass player for these right. shows going forward so um they had started playing actually with a bass player uh steve jansen who is the guitar player from crip sermon if you're familiar with them mm -hmm. another feeling absolutely fucking 
amazing musician, a guitar player of the craziest caliber right. um, early on, but he was very busy, right? Like he already had a lot of commitments. Um, and I, I met the way that I ended up joining the band. I was working at a coffee shop in Philadelphia uh, on 13th and Spruce for those who know Philadelphia well called Toast. It no longer exists. And Matt used to come in and eat uh, breakfast there uh with his girlfriend at the time okay and he walked in one day and he was uh, he was sitting at a table in the corner and i served him and i noticed that he was wearing a voivod shirt and uh i just made a comment about mm -hmm. it i was like hey like that's a great shirt and i was also playing some charles mingus on the speakers was playing uh some jazz nonsense and right. uh uh matt commented back like oh like i'm i'm glad you recognize the, the shirt like i also really love the music you're playing we had this banter back and forth that was kind of you know classic musician thing mm -hmm. where he was like i don't know if you're around uh but i'd love to like get together and play sometime if that's something you're you're into i figured i'd never hear from the guy ever again <laughs> it's just one of those things like yeah i'll call you i'll find your number yeah in the book. like you know <laughs> this is a musician thing like you yeah. have a moment of connection and you're like yeah. it would be great to jam sometime and like you know 90 percent of those yeah. disappear into the ether <laughs> Now, Matt, however, hit me up right away. Oh, wow. uh, and he was really diligent about getting together. He ended up coming over to my house um, and he was playing guitar. And I'm also a drummer and I was playing drums with him, mm. um, which is this whole thing. And, you know, we had fun. It was nothing, no like big deal. We didn't like scheme to do too much in the future. We just like had a really good time. A year later, Matt asks me if I would be willing to fill in for a show at a venue called Union Transfer in Philadelphia for Decibel's Choosing Death Fest. They put out this book um, uh, and did a festival in celebration of the book. And that was seven years ago. And after that, I mean, we connected so deeply even uh, upon first few rehearsals and with Steve being really, really busy and you know me being excited about playing with the group, it just, I kept playing shows with them and it slowly moved from me being a part of the band to horrendous being my band too that's awesome that's a deep, crazy yeah 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 also that's a deep pull charles mingus i haven't heard that name in years you uh yeah man you, you, so you're a big fan you, you, you okay so like you, you had you had control over the music of this coffee shop here a, mm -hmm. a deep jazz artist like that charles mingus like that's 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 a very broad spectrum of of musical tastes for sure. I mean, I was, um, it's funny for a long time. I was actually, uh, kind of running for the Hills away from playing heavy music or from playing metal because I had done it for all of my life. Hmm. I got really, really obsessed with jazz, its history, uh, learning how to improvise better. Um, you know, I was really pushing, I was in school for a short time, um, studying jazz, hmm. a very, uh, ambitious effort. Hmm. Um, uh, very, very short time. And, you know, I was trying to expand my horizons a little bit. I wanted to play different things. I wanted to gain different skills. So it's just kind of put metal on the back burner. Um, and, and there was some denial going on there too, right? Like you get into something new and you, and you start thinking like, you, you know, you start trying to differentiate yourself because you don't want other people being like, oh, you're a metalhead. You, you, there's no way you'd be able to play this or that, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, all of that was very silly. Uh, and I, you know, but that was the when I met Matt was kind of at like the peak of me really trying to 
only focus on on those musics um mm. and meeting matt and getting to learn horrendous tunes and hang out with matt and jamie and a bunch of their other friends um kind of just like brought this very foundational energy back into my life um and yeah i mean that's just that's the the groundwork from which the band now sort of started that's wild that's absolutely wild it, it is kind of surprising like where a life will sometimes just lead you you know you, you walk away from something and it's kind of like falling in love the moment you stop looking all of a sudden it just comes at you like you're being hit by a bus 100 percent. i mean that's i've never heard anyone put it that way like it, that comparison i think that it's it's spot on yeah like yeah because i i didn't i never felt like i had accomplished um what i wanted to in the realm of heavy music mm. i had i played with some great outfits uh growing up and i played with friends growing up and 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 got hired to do um some touring here and there as a young person so i already had done some things in which like wow i never thought that this would be possible but i'd never creatively on record done what i had really wanted to you mm. know because i was i was into a lot of metal bands that were doing some ambitious things and i sort of never got there uh and it was like i don't know along came matt and horrendous this band that was kind of like i don't know like really fit the blueprint for the kind of metal that i have always really loved mm. and got an opportunity to work with them and here we are yeah uh, speaking of uh, creativity and that openness as well as your band horrendous your the band actually has this reputation of uh having basically an unofficial slogan of no such thing as a bad idea in the studio. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, like, can you explain the freedom and the support that, that happens within your group? That's a great question. And I think that it, a question that gets to the heart of why I think we all work together so well mm -hmm. and like why the music gets to go where it gets to go because that freedom and support happens at every level, right? Like there's the studio is one level. That's the that's the moment in which we have a lot of material and we're going to start hitting the tape, you know, hitting record on the tapes um, and like, you know, starting to craft. That's a very particular stage of the creative process. But this support and openness happens from the very beginning, oh, yeah. including, you know, like us being in a room together, trying things out, jamming things out, making demos, you know, dreaming big about what is and isn't possible and like there i think was something we all we all have our differences right. we all have our different perspectives and strengths right. musically but one thing that we all share is like kind of a complete irreverence when it comes to you know limits right uh and particularly like the limits of metal as as a genre and definitely the limits of death metal in particular you know since that's the field that we've been because of our history and our trajectory that's like the genre field that we've been placed within and everyone is just like so willing to entertain anything because we all trust each other like there's no one playing bullshit right. you know there's no one playing without some kind of idea or some kind of like energy to bring to the table so right. you know and once we once we get to the studio, we've already built, you know, uh, an entire territory of things to use. So then it's just kind of like that's where things get wild. I mean, being able to have a studio in-house, right, not have to travel to a place where your time is limited and you're paying every hour or every day right. means that like 
you know, whatever you can imagine for vocals, for overdubs, for synthesizers, for, you know, extracurriculars, like percussion instruments or prepared guitar, whatever you can imagine, you know, like we have the ability to do that and everyone's willing, you know, mm -hmm. like a bunch of things that happen on these records. Um, there's like all these Easter eggs in the background that sometimes start as jokes, okay. you know, where like someone speaks in a weird, like haunting voice over some passage, like just to see, or, or like tries to sing slightly differently just to see what it would be like. And maybe we like laugh about it at first and then we come back to it and we realize it's actually kind of fucking cool. Um, you know, so it's kind of like this, I think overarchingly, right? Like this willingness to experiment. Um, and also a trust that we can experiment in a way that will actually serve the music and not just be for experimentation's sake, right? Mm -hmm. Like this kind of balance of those two things. It's kind of, again, a virtue of the band, 100%. You're, you're talking about Easter eggs. Uh, like you have a very loyal and hardcore fan base. And when the release of uh, Ontological uh, Mysterium was happened, uh, like bands, or no, I should say fans, uh, took it upon themselves to diagnose and and review and even do a blind YouTube react video uh, which are popping up even to this day on YouTube it's it's interesting how your fans will uh, have gone into some of your songs and the albums and and deconstruct like what you have created and they'll find things and make reference to like this was here this was here oh this is a reference to blah, blah, blah. and it's it's wild and it's it's do you find it as though it's like a compliment to you that your fans are just like they they just dive in head first and absorb as much as possible? You know, I I have less of a sense for the the devoutness of the fan base. Okay. Um, I think that that's a result, of course, like when you're a, a creative person involved in a project, you're mm -hmm. perhaps you. Uh, overvalue or notice more the negative things that people have to say yeah um but i do i i mean over the years i have noticed here and there you know the fact that there are some people listening really deep and who are reading all of the lyrics who are thinking about the records that have come before uh who are hearing the ways that the compositions reference earlier parts of itself you know like all of these technical things i do see that that's out there and I do see it as a compliment. Um, I I think that that means that we're somebody thinks that the music is is worthy of sort of like more than just a casual listen, right? That mm -hmm. there's like something more there to be found, which I do believe. Um, in fact, I feel often from some comments, some reviewer literature, um, things like that, that sometimes people aren't looking very deep uh, into the songs or into the lyrics or into you know the music as a whole and not in a necessarily in a bad way but that like being aware that there's like different levels you can get to with the music and mm. it just depends on how closely you're hearing um and like you know i've we've also found it interesting the ways in which people you know kind of a norm for music talk right is to compare right, right? we only we only speak in terms of, of reference yeah um and we all find it very entertaining to see what band names or styles or like conceptual things that are coming out of you know people's minds because sometimes we uh think that it's apt mm. uh, and other times we could not disagree anymore 
you know, there are certain comparisons and certain thoughts about the music that some of us are like, I have no idea how <laughs> someone has connected these dots because I just, if you were to play this and then play us, I just don't, I don't think they sound anything like each other. So, mm-hmm. but that's the nature of the beast, right? With yeah. uh, something as subjective as sonic material. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's eye of the whole, eye of the beholder type situations where it's like, it's, it's, you can write it out one way and perform it one way and the listener is going to take it their own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And you have to be willing to let go, right? Yes. Like once you've created something and kept it as your little child in house and then it flies out of the nest it's like a lot of stuff is out of your hands then you just got to let it happen this is true uh, in the topic of uh, being your own worst critic uh, and on the same thread of just like okay that's it it's gone it's done um i can share a quick uh reference story uh cory taylor um mm. from slipknot uh will forever laugh at the song duality because at the very beginning where he's speaking closely into the microphone uh, he, he says that he can hear the moment where he tapped his teeth against the mic by accident yeah. <laughs> and he's, and he wanted to go back and redo it but the, the studio and the band were like no fuck it leave it in so every yeah. single time he hears that song he just smiles like that's the one time I just poof, and nailed the microphone oh my god I love shit like that I, have <laughs> I mean it happens a lot more often than people think you yeah. know like it's it's kind of terrifying how closely the makers of music, you know, are listening into their own, you know, like the amount of small things that perhaps yeah. n- many people will never never hear will haunt a maker for, you know, an eon. And yeah. um, and I have my own versions of that. And I think we all do. Yeah. And uh, but I also think it's part of the charm, you know, like, you know, we are our own worst critic. And that like that statement just rings true to this very day. So funny. Yeah. Uh, in 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 regards to making references and uh, the like, uh, in an earlier interview, actually, your bandmate, Matt Knox, stated that mm-hmm. the onological mysterium is both a love letter to metal from the 80s and 90s, as well as looking forward and challenging yourselves and each other, as well as the genre as a whole. Is it often mm-hmm. that you surprise yourself and your bandmates when recording? That's good questions. Um, Fucking radio guy right here. <laughs> I know I was gonna say your experience, man. Like you've done this is not your first rodeo. My no, God. no, no. It, it, don't get me wrong. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with you. But yeah, I, <laughs> I came prepared. No, it's you know, it's like there's always it's always a, a spectrum, you know, of like the levels of depth in terms of questions. But um, you know, that's funny. That quote has been a, a, a point of contention with us to some degree because it, it had gotten. It's been. You, contextually utilized to make it sound like the point of the album was to be just like a worship record, right? Right, To like copy something that exists in the past when the full context is actually what you said, right? Is that like, there are some things about metal from the eighties and nineties that we want to write a love letter to while also sort of like pushing forward, looking into futures for ourselves and for the genre, and maybe even like critiquing uh, some of the, uh, I mean, like implicitly critiquing some of the like orthodoxies of metal as it stands right now in in the present day. Um, But to answer your question, like we do surprise ourselves all the time. Uh, Hmm. It's, uh, you know, because we, I think we mostly have a goal to like make sure that all of the songs reach a certain like level of energy. Right. um, And that they, then they stay compelling and they, they feel like, full of you know they're not boring people and that they're full of feeling you know like that's kind of like the core almost like 
cliche goal of of writing and making music but when we're collaborating together so much and having kind of this multi-stage process right of like writing and jamming together and improvising through stuff and then like crafting demos and super and editing a lot and then getting to the studio where all new stuff starts to come off and whole so- sections of songs get chopped and maybe like new interludes start to pull up like hmm. you know there's so much room for surprise to happen it's almost like a guarantee just because of the way that we do it you know right. like i feel like in other situations when you're a band that's like okay we have to write an album we have to hire the studio and we need in three four five days we need to get everything done and that's that we can't touch anything once it's done we're not going to be able to add anything once it's done we don't have that uh restriction so it's sort of like when you have that much room to play surprise is kind of like yeah it's a guarantee um and i again that it's it's that room that we have that it's it's a privilege that Mm. we have Mm. i should say um and that combined with the fact that you know especially i i you know i i think everyone in the band is just willing to dream big really uh and and just try it and try things out so again it's just kind of like comes with the territory with the way that we approach things yeah again you're referencing the freedom the creativity the support uh earlier you mentioned like you have a studio that is in house where is this is it is like is it behind you like where is this studio <laughs> uh this would be uh subterranean watchtowers okay this is like uh, I should, I, I'm almost tempted to say that's where the studio is, um, in the subterranean watchtower, but that's, that's, uh, wherever Damien is, oh. uh, it, it's had a couple of different stations. Um, the basement of Damien's parents' house, uh, for a long time, um, there was an apartment in Arlington, Virginia that, uh, that Damien was working at for a while. Damien just moved into a new house, um, with his wife, Erin, um, and I can't remember the exact time. It's in Virginia still, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Damien's setup, wherever it may be, is um, the sacred plane known as the Subterranean Watchtower. I mean, he's he's a very busy uh, engineer. He works with lots of different bands. Hmm. Um, he went to school for the stuff. Uh, and so, you know, he's, yeah, he is our in-house studio. That's cool. That's 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 a handy connection to have. Yeah. Although I will say behind me, uh, yeah. behind my laptop currently is uh, a, a bunch of musical equipment. Okay. Um, and I also have a very limited setup here. Um, and I did do some of my recording of my bass parts remotely, actually, um, because I'm calling in from New York, uh, the woods of mid-state New York. And oh, okay. I'm, uh, I'm back in college as at the ripe age of 30 up this way. Um, and because of that, uh, certain moments, I did some of the work in the studio and, and down with everyone, but, um, towards the end of the recording process needed to do a few of the songs, um, on my own here and mm. then, you know, send all of the stems to, uh, Damien for, you know, crafting and mixing and all those things. Yeah. A lot of, uh, in-house and at home work was done. Like, let's be honest over the past, five years due to the pandemic mm-hmm. and the writing recording uh producing happened uh over and post pandemic for onological mysterium once the album was released just a mere few months ago august 2023 was it a sigh of relief for you and your band <laughs> oh man i was just talking about this the other day uh big time yeah i mean we we didn't 
none of us had envisioned that um, making the record took this long. However, I do think that the time was crucial mm-hmm. um, to making the album as the way that it is now. And I think that we're all very happy with the way that it is now. But, you know, when you work on something for that long, especially in the contemporary environment where people are churning out releases all of the time, right? Yeah. Like it's fucking nearly impossible to keep up with all of the things that are flying out, especially, you know, me and many, many others who are multi-genre attentive, right? So it's just like the amount of materials flying. So it's sort of like you start feeling like a thing of the past mm. uh, if you're not putting something out. Um, and you also get frustrated because if you're like us, like we are so excited about the music. We just want to share it, you know, like it's it's the that's the thing that is fulfilling to us like we're not really the the type of musical project that's sort of like um fulfilled just by making it for ourselves you know like we really want to affect people we want people to come to the music and find something in it so it's having it come out after this long and was i mean it was celebratory it's more of a sigh of release a sigh of relief it was like just like i mean i was intoxicated <laughs> on, on yeah. the fact that the music was finally out and that people were hearing it and mm-hmm. had things to say about it good or bad you know it was like i had all of the it was almost like excited to be shit on you know <laughs> like, at least it's being heard you know like better than it staying in a cave and not being seen by anyone um so yeah it was it was, it was uh. huge and I'm, I'm still riding on it i mean the just i'm matt is already thinking about the next record he has been thinking about the next record for eons uh he he's always doing that and you know i feel like i am not sure if i'm ready <laughs> like, <laughs> you're still I coming really down want... off of this one <laughs> yeah like i just you know i feel like we've earned a little bit of you know like a lengthy celebration but mm. you know everyone's also got a, a lot of creative bones in their body so it's it's only there's only so long that the urge can be pushed off yeah uh, and i'm sure that we will probably be working i mean there's already material mm. for another record uh floating around in the vaults so um but yeah for now i am i am taking that sigh of celebratory re- relief and trying to enjoy it <laughs> as 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 you should quite frankly i mean it, this is this album is a celebration it's a five years of a lot of work, dedication, reworking, and also going through the pandemic. I mean, the fact that you've gotten the attention and the fans are are tearing it apart, praising you or shitting on you is just, you know, it's it's everything that you could hopefully ever hope for and more. Totally. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm constantly telling my, you know, we, we talk about some of the some of the hate that flies our way. Uh, here and there and we're always saying like this is good this is like this is you're probably if you if there isn't a controversy around what you're making you're probably not making worthwhile art you're not you're not creating a conversation you're absolutely right yeah right it's it's about a dialogue right it would be boring if it was just a flat landscape like and it keeps us on our toes too right like i think some of the critiques of idol um were operative Mm -hmm. in our writing and making of ontological mysterium not in the sense of being control you know we did what we wanted to do of course but you know listeners have something have something to give the conversation meaning it has something to give the conversation of to us as makers right right so yeah i'd say it's all it's all 
great in my opinion. On that, actually. Um, so again, you joined the band in 2016. The band has been in existence since 2009. There was a a subtle but noticeable tonal shift from the first, second, and third album, and then the fourth when you joined. And doing a little bit of uh, looking into it, uh, there was a little bit of pushback with some of the fans uh, mm. from earlier on moving forward. Now, saying that, there's also a lot of fans that jumped on at Idol and went back and came forward and are still like, you know, behind you 100%. But from your own perspective, like, what's it like being inside the club now looking at the outside going like well what do you what do you what do you mean you didn't we we're, we're just doing what we do yeah it's uh it's so interesting to me i i i have only recently started to realize that like what the situation of our band and like the trajectory of our band sort of shows is that there isn't a single way to view uh an ensemble's like body of work right because depending on where you enter Mm. the body of work your perception of all of the rest of the things are going to be different and there were some people who were there when sweet blasphemies and the chills came out right and there were people who were there being like in the you know early 2000s or mid 2000s being like this is an amazing homage to old school death metal, you know, mm. like, and this is what we want to see this band do like mm. HM2 pedals all day. Like we want, <laughs> we want buzzsaw guitar tones yeah. and like, you know, boneheaded moshy riffs forever. Right. Like, yeah. and throat tearing, um, bleeding lyrics, lyrics. <laughs> totally. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. horror zombie, you know, hor- horror adjacent or, or like, yeah, like all of those different things. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, like if that's if you were there for that moment and that's something you really adore and then you see, you know, the, even just the jump from the chills to ecstasis, right? Mm-hmm. And which like some of those things like still HM2 tone uh, still has like this like a sonic aesthetic quality that is maybe recognizable to old school death metal fans, but starting to push off into other directions like melody was a lot bigger you know there were these like almost like rock anthemic moments all over um ecstasis that were ne- not necessarily forwarded on the chills so like all this to say it's it's really interesting to see the way that people's perceptions sort of like ebb and flow or like are stuck in one place or really committed to and, and the opposite is true right or like some people are really really into the most recent material but would never ever really spend much time with a record like the chills um and it's and it's a dynamic thing and i from my perspective uh, which I, I i do think is sort of like a unique one in terms of the band members right i i just see the band kind of embodying uh, something that is kind of like i think a normal virtue for musicians who are doing things for a long period who are committed to continuing to do it which is once you've done something you move on <laughs> like I, if if we've been putting out the chills two, three, and four this whole time, everyone would be telling us to go fuck off. Like, <laughs> like, or who knows? Maybe we'd be the biggest band in the world because old school death metal is like one of the most popular things mm. uh, like in the metal world right now. So like, but that, I don't know. But that's not it, where it, you guys are. You guys are are expanding and moving forward and and challenging yourselves creatively, as it as stated before. Exactly, and and you know like. It's it's not because we don't 
love that stuff mm. you know it isn't like a, re- a a full sale rejection of anything that's come before it's yeah. just that like you know if we're going to be taking our time to, making a record is a fucking it, it it's it, an expedition <laughs> sometimes through hell yes <laughs> and if we're going to push ourselves through that hell yeah we're going to do it for something you know that for us at least is novel not necessarily saying that we're you know that we are capable of doing something that is like for the world completely novel like something entirely new mm-hmm. but just like that for us feels like a new adventure you know like right. It's just what keeps it exciting and exhilarating for us and, and pushes us and make helps us learn things and, you know, makes us feel like continuing to make records is contributing something as opposed to just like, you know, when you're in the music business proper and you're on contract for records and all these different things, it's hard actually not mm. to just be like, well, we're just going to churn out material. Right. Right. Like we're just going to make another record along these lines because we know we can we've done it before we have a blueprint et cetera, et cetera. right right and that's just not something we've ever wanted to do like we want to put out records that we're creatively proud of and in order to do that we we got to push back we got to push through in the you know like through the thing that we've already done yeah. and we got to try to go further and it's annoying quite frankly because it's not easy yeah uh, but it makes us feel like it's worth it at the end after yeah. we've uh done a lot of trudging through the mud <laughs> fair enough <laughs> uh so ontological mysterium hasn't even stopped spinning yet and uh, there's already conversation of a new album and going back in the studio and possibly giving birth to that iron lead stone that is just both agony and rewarding but at the same time it's something that you're passionate about it's it's not very often that people get a peek behind the scenes when it comes to songs that potentially have been on the shelf for a while and it's just been reworked. We all have the perception of being a fan of music that every single track is like, that's, that's all brand new. This was all written within like the last week. Are there mm-hmm. are there songs out there, if you don't mind peeking by, uh, allowing us to peek behind the curtain, are there songs out there that's sat on the shelf for a while or are still sitting on the shelf that maybe might get a workover? 100%. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, such a good question. I uh, I mean, I, a low-hanging fruit example is actually Preterition Hymn from... Uh, really? The opening riff to Preterition Hymn is a riff that Damien wrote like an eon ago. Like... I'm talking like maybe I can't remember the exact era, but Ectasis Anaretta sessions like long, long, long ago. That was like a catchy riff, but that the band felt had never fully blossomed into its full self. Right. Like it never turned into a song that felt like it would fit on the records that they were working on at the time. Right. Um, so this is something it, it, it's funny that song wasn't even originally slated to be on the record. Um, I really, I, I want you to picture me sitting in the woods of New York in the midst of my fall semester, uh, my first year having returned to college, and I am working on my bass parts for songs that already exist. And at this point, Matt and Jamie were still going down to work with Damien in the studio and finish odds and ends and and make sure that things are getting wrapped up. Right. And I get this file in my email that's titled Little Death. Okay. And I knew what that was because little death, you know, this musicians will know before you get to album stage, yeah. you make these demos there. Maybe sometimes they're shitty recordings on your phone and you give them these stupid titles. 
<laughs> that have no bearing on anything. Yeah. They're just, and I, and I remember that in the, during the ontological writing sessions or the first couple of years of that, that we had messed around with this riff that Damien had brought back to life from an earlier era. And I got a file in my email of this song completely written and recorded, record, completely recomposed in yeah. a new context with a beautiful acoustic outro that I had never even heard. This is something that just they just decided to give a shot because they had extra time in, right. in the studio. And they were like, we have a surprise for you. Here's a new, here's a song that you need to add to your list of things. And I was like, what's happening? Like, are, is this going on the record? And of course, like, sure enough, like I listened to it and I was like, this is great. Like, this is awesome. And I see where this fits on the record. I can't believe that this is happening. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I could give you many other examples, but it's not a linear trajectory ever. Right. It's always like for a band that is sort of like writing material in the in the background so frequently mm. um, and consistently, there's always stuff that stays on the shelf. Um, and there's always stuff that is actually super new that didn't make it uh didn't make the cut for this record yeah uh, and there's one song in particular that i'm thinking of i actually asked matt the other day i was like hey are we gonna are we ever gonna bring this song back and he was like oh yeah next record <laughs> <laughs> so it's oh, on yeah. the way <laughs> it's, it's, it's on the homework list <laughs> uh, so you know like this this is kind of like a you know it that is a look into the fact that you know that, that that's that's the scale with which on which or with which we're working all the time so it's crazy that's awesome these, these are my favorite things uh of, of talking to a musician and an artist is like you get the you get like the the peek behind the curtain of 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 stuff that we just don't even consider like there's so many stories out there of like artists musicians bands like didn't even consider that song or that song was actually borrowed from somewhere else or blah blah blah, blah, blah. and like again like just being a music fan you get an album without any sort of context like all oh, this stuff is new this was yeah. all just like a one brainstorm one hour in the studio boom done like, all no. an illusion no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly there, there is yeah. no knob on the on the on the desk of a studio that says studio magic but you know they don't know that <laughs> yeah 100 and that's true on so many levels you have no idea so uh, a couple of questions for you from uh, some fans also off of Patreon. And um, cool. if you don't mind, uh, we'll, we'll get into all. these. I'm, I'm thrilled. Okay, cool. So uh, Dan asks, uh, your artwork is utterly amazing for every single album. I love it. Who does the art for your album covers? That is Brian Smith. He um, is an amazing painter. Um, and we have the very privileged uh honor of being the only band that i believe he has worked with uh, making album art you know he's very committed to his own creative sort of flows and um you know he doesn't you know i think working with another person having expectations put on him is something that is not um all that appealing mm. uh and yeah, and for some reason he he agreed to work with us, and ever since you know, Ectasis was the first record that he um, made an album cover for us on, uh, and since then you know like that was such, I I think the band felt like that painted such a complimentary picture of that album and and sort of the aesthetic of the band that was hard to let go, uh, and then you know he did Anaretta, 
And then actually for Idol and Ontological Mysterium, we chose paintings from his like uh, current sort of like vault of paintings that had not been used or bought. Um, oh, and wow. so we actually, instead of him like crafting an album cover based on ideas or the songs or all these things, we actually ch- worked with him and chose one that we felt um, would work, um, you know, because we just wanted to continue working with him. Uh, and he does have a busy schedule and, uh, you know, like, just there's all kinds of variables in terms of w- whether someone can like creatively craft for you every detail. So, um, but yeah, that's Brian Smith. He he's one of a kind, and uh, yeah, uh, we're thankful to him. Awesome, uh, Angela off of uh, social media asks, uh, will you ever do a Canadian tour? I know being an American band, it can be a little bit difficult crossing the border, but I'd love to see you in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. You know, we've played Edmonton before. Oh, shit. Believe it or not. And it's so funny. And I I really appreciate this question. And it's one of those cosmic things where Jamie sent me a text the other night. And he Mm. was like, randomly, I mean, completely unprompted. He was like, I was just thinking about us playing Edmonton. Look, take a look at where that is on a map. (laughs) This is like, must have been like midnight or something. Like, um, this was on the Decibel Tour. We toured with... um, uh, creator obituary and midnight and we opened the the package that year mm. and we played calgary we played edmonton we played um god what is the Britain, city in british columbia on vancouver um, vancouver yeah is that british columbia my geography yes, no, you're on it yeah <laughs> so yeah I'm, and like we so- didn't i'm from vancouver <laughs> okay 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 cool cool yeah. <laughs> Um, I love British Columbia, man. I, I wish I could. I, I have I actually have a, a close friend who lives out there and I, I want to visit him someday. But yeah, so it's not outside of the realm of, I mean, if we've been to Edmonton once, we can go to Edmonton again. Mm. Uh, I, I've i loved playing in Canada when we're there. I always feel like it's uh, its own experience. And touring is tough for us these days just because of the life circumstances of everyone. Mm. Um, Damien just had a child. Oh, wow. uh, I don't know if that's out there in the media or not, but I'm blowing your cover, D. Yeah. So, uh, he is now uh, Daddy Damien. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, Matt's a school teacher. Jamie is an immunologist who works in a lab. He's a postdoc. or I mean, He may even be beyond postdoc now, and I'm back in school in New York. So you can imagine getting these things to, to work can be tough, yeah. but we have an eye to making sure that Ontological Mysterium gets its due. Mm. Uh, we are going to be playing some shows later this year. Um, not crossing any borders yet, but, you know, a lot is yet to be seen. There's a lot of changes going on in terms of like, um, bureaucracy within the band. So, um, I think that, I think that there's always the possibility and I hope that we can make it there. Gotcha. Cool. I mean, that's all you could really hope for, right? I mean, life does get in the way of a lot of things. So (laughs) it does. (laughs) I wish I could be touring 300 days out of the year. (laughs) No, absolutely. Uh, off of Patreon, uh, Alita asks, what is your concert pregame routine? <laughs> uh, I would say this depends mm. on what kind of show I'm attending. Okay. Uh, now, and this also, does this, I actually took this as like, as a, as a consumer or as a player, like my pre-show routine, like when we play shows or you know when what, we go. To- you know what? Let, let, let's hit them both. Might as well. Right. That's fine. You're yeah. Just, because the, you know. the question is open-ended on that end. So Yeah. I, you know, I 
am a pretty casual music goer when I'm by myself. You know, I, even being up in the woods of New York, mm. I, I, I there isn't a whole lot of like pre-gaming or, or planning that, you know, like there's small venues and musicians who are coming through town who I want to check out. And I often try to go to the places, the venues that I like up here and just try to hang out a little bit beforehand, see the people I know, um, shoot the shit. Right. But I also see a lot of shows with my bandmates. Right. And when you see a show with Matt, Knox, Jamie Knox, uh, Nick Dushemin, who is the singer of The Silver, who a band that I also play guitar in. Mm. Um, it's it's a ritual. It's it is um, a major preparation. You know, I, we are hanging out beforehand. We're spinning records, usually drinking, maybe trying to find a way to get a good solid dinner because all of us know that we're probably not going to eat uh, beyond a certain point. Yeah, and that really feels like you know, that's like the gathering of the fucking rascals. Like, that's, <laughs> It really is like when I'm with them, it's a it's it's a to do for gotcha. sure. Um, but otherwise, it's pretty boring. And and for the band, honestly, I, I think we usually try to make sure that we spend a little bit of time together before the shows. We don't always warm up, but all of us really like to mm-hmm. because it, it does really help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we all, at least for me, I always try to have one stiff drink. Okay. Um, uh, I to believe it or not, I've been playing music since I was a young kid. Uh, I've played more shows than I could possibly count, and I still get nervous as fuck every time. Um, uh, and especially playing horrendous tunes, man. Like it's not easy music all the time. No. Uh, and, and I, I'm like holding on for dear life every show. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's 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 crazy that that's the case. You think I get used to it, but when you're trying when you're performing really hard and you're like excited which i am when i'm playing it, right. you can't be fully controlled all the time right and, you know and your hands get tired and all these different things so just one stiff drink before the show sometimes keeps it so that my uh my anxiety just is in check uh, just 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 to compare or at least relate like i've been in the radio industry for 20 years and mm-hmm. uh before each and every show i am nervous every single time if i'm not totally. nervous if i'm not nervous i i, I i'm going to have a shit show because yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not on my game. I'm not on my edge. I'm not fully aware, right? I'm maybe I'm distracted or just not feeling well, whatever. But no, like 20 years later, I am still like, before chatting with you, I was nervous. I was like probably yep. even over preparing. So like that, totally, it, I get it. And it's it's healthy. It's good. Just as long as it's it doesn't It's a sign that you, you care. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, like this isn't bullshit to you. This exactly. Is something yeah, every, exactly. every moment counts. <laughs> exactly. Good thing. Michael asks, what's the weirdest road story so far? <laughs> oh, shit. What did I just step in? Oh, God. The weirdest road story. That's tough. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's also particularly tough because I am notorious for having a terrible memory. Oh, okay. It's very funny. Like, tours, my memory of tour, like, totally slips by. But, um, I here's what I'll do. I'll sure. get a little bit. I'm going to get the slightest bit personal here. Fine. And I will share um, my own weirdest tour story, which was which happened on this most recent uh, Southwestern uh, tour that we did in support of the record. Okay. Which is, and I'll try to make it brief. Um, but I, uh, on the trip, I was recently single. Okay. After a long relationship. Fine. And uh, I fired up ye old dating apps <laughs> and, uh, you know, t- tried to see if I could get myself into some responsible and fun trouble. <laughs> on the yeah, as um, any adult should. 
which I had never done. Like tour is always for me, like very, I take it like there isn't a whole lot of extra time for things, you know, like it's not the kind of like party bus you think tour is. It, it's a lot of fucking work with very little time. Right. Um, but we just gave it, Matt and I both, I'm sorry, I'm outing you too, Matt. But yeah. Matt and I gave this a shot. as just a sort of an exercise. Like we've never done this. We're both in a position to do it. Let's see how it goes. Right. And I, a very little, I mean, the, as you can imagine, very little happens because it's just impossible to, you know, like to, to be made available when you're touring. But I did get invited to go night kayaking in Tempe, Arizona by a stranger. And I'm not going to go into details, uh, but it was completely platonic hang. Okay. Uh, But this person was one of the strangest human beings I ever met. I was very uncomfortable the entire time. I got driven out into the absolute batshit wilderness of Arizona to an artificial lake in the dead of night and kayaked on a lake with no flashlights, which is extremely dangerous with a person who, quite frankly, I didn't really get along with all that well. Um, And I went on this journey and I thought maybe I was going to get kidnapped or killed. Uh, But actually, it just turns out it's just a fairly oddball who really likes taking strangers on adventurous night kayaks. And I made it home safe. Nothing happened whatsoever. Uh, And I just got, you know, in the moment that I was able to relax from how weird this situation was, I got to go on a beautiful kayaking, a kayaking adventure uh, in the middle of the night in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, an experience you'll never forget, and also kidneys and livers all still attached. All intact. <laughs> all, I mean, and I will tell you this because we don't have time. I the the amount of the weirdness of this trip, I, I, can't, I can't even explain to you. Like, just trust the sound of my voice that uh, it was one of the strangest experiences of my life. That'll that'll. I think that'll stick with that'll haunt my nightmares for. Fuck's I hope sakes. that that you know. I really hope that that answers the question. There are probably much better stories to tell, but I it's uh, that's just the one that came to mind. No, that's a good one. That's an absolute banger right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, final question. This is from me, and this is something I like to ask my guests: is uh, what is one thing that uh, your fans, the audience, the world doesn't know about you simply because they haven't asked? Oh man. Um, I think there's probably quite a bit. Uh, we we covered one earlier in the fact that I and the, and you know I think this is probably on the table just because of conversations about mm. the band. But I, I'm quite a big fan of jazz and improvisation, and I listen to a lot of really really weird music. Right. Um, but that's kind of a low hanging fruit. I would say something that is way harder for people to know um, is that I am a big poetry nerd. Um, I have been super, super attentive to poetry, poetics, and writing since I was young. Mm. Uh, it's currently a big part of what I am back in school for right now. Um, I, I kind of see poetics as a, um, a an experimental way of doing research as opposed to just like an expressive way of writing. Um, so I'm really interested in language. My shelf behind me is composed probably... 60 to 70 percent of poetry i'm a book collector Um, i like to collect books from uh independent presses long dead um uh, particularly from the the united states in mid-century so i'm a bit of a nerd uh, i think is really what this is all pointing towards um and i've been trying to be better about being not embarrassed about being uh, uh, really really into poetry so you gave me the opportunity to admit it so there you go (laughs) i i appreciate i feel closer to you already That's, uh, I'm also a huge video game nerd. To, to uh, oh yeah, yeah, you were admiring the, the that earlier. I'm sorry, the background is so good. Yeah. I the second I got on the call, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Go. 
Now, just just to give you, uh, so like NES, SNES, N sixty four, N sixty four. Yeah, uh, back here the computer is blocking it, but uh, PlayStation two, Xbox original, Xbox three sixty. Um, there's a shelf up there. It's a uh, Dreamcast and oh, yeah. Sega CD, PlayStation one. Like you know, I've been collecting this for years. Do you have the uh, Sonic Adventure Battle Dreamcast? No, no, God, I w- it's on the wish list. My, <laughs> I know, I know yeah. it's a hard one to get. Yeah, but it probably goes to show that I knew I, I could tell what all of those games were on your shelf. That's how much. <laughs> so, like, I'm with you. <laughs> right on, right on. All right, uh, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Uh, again, congratulations on Ontological Mysterium. Uh, the release is uh, is fantastic uh as i stated earlier uh off the record uh it was my my cardio anthem the entire album from start to finish earlier today i love it it's absolutely an incredible album and uh please let me know and let everyone else know like what is next with um horrendous so we are um first of all thank you for having me uh it's been great to chat and and it's and it's great to hear your thoughts and other people's thoughts uh you filtered all of them through which is amazing and um yeah in terms of what's next uh we have some shows that we're going to be announcing soon um you know we're trying to despite everyone's busy schedule and the complications of life we're trying to build little spaces to give ontological mysterium its due um, and, and bring some of the songs out live and make sure that we're playing at a time where people seem excited about the music. Um, so that'll be coming soon. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be a couple of months still, but um, they're coming. And then we're also working on trying to find other opportunities, bigger opportunities to play out, um, maybe even trying to get across the pond over mm-hmm. next summer. Um, we've never done a proper, we've played one show in Europe and that's it. Um, so that's something that's on our minds. And outside of that, we are waiting for the moment in which we all start um, hitting the grind again. Um, I mean, again, like I said, I'm not fully ready personally. Uh, and I really hope that we can focus on playing uh, some really good shows because I think the album deserves it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so but that's mostly it. I think I'm trying to make sure that the the record gets some life out there and that we can bring it to life. And other than that, pushing forward creatively onto the next one. You guys are on Bandcamp. You're also on uh, Spotify. Uh, you're a part of Season of Mist. Yep. Yep. And uh, Horrendous Band is uh, essentially where uh, they can find you on social media. Um, I know that there is at very least a topic that's been already been created on YouTube, but there is an Instagram account. Yeah, it's a horrendous, under- horrendous underscore official. Official. Right on. Um, and, you know, other, other social, we do still have a Facebook, but, you know, how that is going in terms of, uh, we try to keep it up to date because we know that some people are still on there, yeah. um, but mostly Instagram and Facebook as of now. Gosh, perfect. Alex, thank you so much. Thank you so much. 